Today on People Worth Knowing, I discuss money and finance with Eric Rosenberg. You know, put together a little bit of a budget. Don't feel like that budget is constraining you. Look at it as a roadmap that gives you permission to spend in certain areas, as long as that's within your means. I also discuss the life and heroic acts of Captain Sully, Chesley Sullenberger, and the landing he made with U.S. Airways Flight 1549 on the Hudson River. All that and more coming up on People Worth Knowing. Welcome, you're listening to People Worth Knowing, a podcast about the noteworthy, iconic public figures who've shaped our society, brands, and major companies with their thoughts, opinions, decisions, and views. Each episode, we explore how these men and women started from nothing and rose to the top. If you're listening for the first time, thanks for joining us. And now, People Worth Knowing with your host, Nick Harrison. I am joined today by my guest, Eric Rosenberg. Eric has been featured on numerous platforms, including Forbes, Business Insider, and the Huffington Post. Eric started a side hustle that he has now turned into a full-time career. Eric is the founder and owner of PersonalProfitability.com. He is giving away a free one-week-long course on personal finance, which you can find at personalprofitability.com slash bootcamp. So, Eric, we've all heard that you need to go to college in order to succeed, but we also hear stories of college dropouts who are highly successful. Do you feel as if going to college and obtaining an MBA, in your case, has helped in your entrepreneurial adventure? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because it's so highly contested today. And I think that the reason we hear about you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates being so successful after dropping out of college is because they are the rarity. They're the less common uh, case of huge business success dropping out of school. And I definitely think my two college degrees have been instrumental in the success I have today. So I have two, uh, two finance degrees. I did not plan on going into the entrepreneurial career path originally. Uh, so I picked up the undergrad in finance from the University of Colorado. Then I worked as a bank manager for a little while and got into the corporate America world, you know, in cubicle land, as I like to call it, and picked up my MBA along the way. And little did I know that, you know, I, I knew those credentials could help me, you know, climb the corporate ladder and, and see success in that part of my career, which I certainly did. But even more importantly, at this point, those credentials and opportunities helped me build the, you know, the reputation and the clout and the expertise to go on to become a finance writer where I'm seeing this great success now. So if it weren't for those, you know, three letters after my name, MBA, which you know, I don't put on my LinkedIn, I don't put it on my business card, but when I am trying to find a new client who's looking for a writer in the finance area, which is where, where my expertise lies, I might be competing with someone who has a journalism degree, which they could be the best writer in the world, but not know a whole lot about money. And I'd like to think I'm okay at writing, and I do have that money knowledge and the credential to prove it. And that's helped me get better rates and better success in all of my entrepreneurial and freelancing adventures. 
absolutely. So kind of going along with that, how did that lead you to your website, personalprofitability.com, and what's the mission behind that? Yeah, so personal profitability, I actually started blogging during college. It was my last summer of college. I had some time that I was able to start writing online just a little bit as a hobby. I had a personal blog, which I'm very happy is no longer out there. I don't think anyone would have wanted to read that. But then, uh, then I did a little bit on, on politics in the Middle East. And after I'd left working in the bank during that time I'd been there and after earning my college uh, finance degree, we'd already discussed, I was reading all these new personal finance blogs and I thought they were really interesting and so great. Uh, so a lot of them were written by people who'd gotten into debt and were trying to get out of debt though. And I started thinking, well, geez, I've never been in debt. I have that finance degree. Not too long ago, I was approving mortgages and credit card applications and new bank accounts. So I had this really deep and unique view of finance, not just from the education standpoint, but from having worked in that bank. So when I left the job in the bank, I was inspired. I had been blogging before. I saw these other money blogs and I thought, you know, I'm going to start a little money blog. And that's how what became Personal Profitability was born. And today the main mission is to help people, primarily entrepreneurs or people who have a good job and just want to get better at their money. Maybe they didn't learn about money from their parents or their family or at school. I mean, no one learns about money at school, right? So uh, personal profitability, we try to fill in those knowledge gaps. And my main mission there, uh, my tagline, if you will, is to live a better life through mindful personal finance. And I have four pillars of personal profitability I like the P alliteration there um, for for the brand. So I always tell people that the main goal is to help people earn more, spend thoughtfully, grow their wealth, and live a better life through mindful personal finance. Sounds good. I could use some of that advice myself. I'm sure we all could. Um, <laughs> what uh, Can you kind of explain the feeling of the risk that you had when you quit your job to become a full-time entrepreneur? You know, that's a big risk that you know, once you make, you can either sink or swim. Yes, that was a long time coming. It was certainly not an overnight decision, though it did kind of come together pretty quickly when I decided it was time to pull the trigger. And to really understand how I quit the job, we have to go back a few years to earlier when I started blogging. When I started personal profitability, it was just a little side hustle. I figured you know, maybe I'd make a few dollars on it, but I never thought it would be you know, life-changing kind of money or anything like that. And I remember the first time I got an ad, and it was a $10 ad from a company in England that um, they wanted to you know, post something on the site, and I said, okay. And I was so excited. I made enough money in a day on the internet to go buy a beer. It was like mind-blowing to me. Right. And then it grew over time into you know, paying all of my beer tabs for a month, which in my mid-20s was saying something. <laughs> and then it grew to rent and then to a mortgage. So this whole time it had been a side hustle. So I saw this great growth happening on this side business. And in 2015, I did $40,000 in revenue on the side. And I started realizing, you know, the average person, I was living in Portland at the time, the average person in Portland made about $40,000 a year. So if I was able to do that in 10 to 20 hours a week, just imagine what would happen if I put you know, a full-time schedule into it. So I one day decided it was time to pull the trigger. It, you know, I was like a good responsible dad with a six-month-old daughter. I had a stay-at-home 
mom, wife. So all the income was coming from me. So I did the, the responsible thing. I quit my job, sold my house, and moved to the most expensive part of the country. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. Well, you kind of addressed it slightly, but what did um what did your wife think about this? I mean, you had a, a stable income, a, a regular job, and then you're going off on your own, again, kind of going along with the risk. Was she, I mean, naturally, I'm assuming she was supportive as a wife, but was she nervous as well? I actually think she was more confident it was going to work out than I was. I remember the night that I gave notice and, and told my boss I was originally I gave two weeks notice. They asked me to stay for an extra month, which because I had flexibility in my new career path, I was able to do and I wanted to you know, keep good relationships. I didn't want to burn any bridges. But that night I came home and I remember freaking out. I remember saying to my wife, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life right now? And it turned out it was not the biggest mistake. It was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life. But the whole time she stood behind me, she said, you know, I've seen your success. I've seen how hard you work and I know it will grow. And she was right. And I knew logically, you know, like we just said, if I could do it in 10 to 20 hours a week and pull enough out that we could get by, uh, if I really put that full effort in, we knew we should see good success. So that was the the logic part in my head saying, you know, this is working already so I can continue and grow that success. But yeah, it was very scary. <laughs> I was nervous at first and it took probably two or three months uh, for me to really have my jitters calm down and, and get more focused and feel like I'm on the right track and on the right path. Absolutely. As it would for anyone. Um, do you think, in your opinion, can anyone turn a side hustle into a full-time job or does it take a special person, a special training or some sort of special mentality? I think anyone can do it. It just depends on what the side hustle is and what your circumstances are. You have to find the right hustle or business for you. And that could be very different for a lot of people. You know, so for me as a, as a freelancer now, I saw a path for my side hustle to grow it through, you know, I couldn't really scale it exactly. You know, it's kind of an hours for dollars type thing being a freelancer, but I did see opportunities for bigger projects and more growth so I could get better results in less time. So for me, that was a great fit. It came back to, you know, my skill set with both the finance and the writing. So that, that just worked well for me, but there are so many different side hustles or even freelance opportunities, depending on what you want to do and what you're good at and what you love. Just it, the, the thing you really need to get success in any business, which I'm not making this one up, it came from a great book called The $100 Startup by Chris Gillibo. He said, all you really need for any business to succeed is some type of product or service, someone who's willing to buy that product or service, and a way to deliver it. Everything else is just ancillary details that you can figure out along the way. So figure out what that product or service is that you are good at creating or, or delivering something that you love or you're passionate about. I mean, me, I love money. I could talk about money all day. I could dive into a vault full of gold like Scrooge McDuck back, back when I watched uh, DuckTales growing up. So for me, money was the thing, but a lot of people would think that would be dreadfully boring. But you know, my sister-in-law, for example, she uh, has started to build this great um, income source on the side as a graphic designer. 
you know, people do not want me to make visual art. <laughs> it is not something I'm very good at. But she has that skill set, so it works well for her. You know, I know people who are speakers and consultants. I know people making uh, physical things that they sell on places like Etsy. I've known people who've built uh, different types of businesses to sell a new product on Amazon. They call those private labels. There's different ways to put that together. But, you know, there's so many different possible side hustles today that, there is something everybody can do. There is definitely something. The key is just finding the time and the business model that works for you that you can really execute on and, and bring home the gold, bring home the bacon. <laughs> In what way did you take the path and how, and I guess how did the path lead you to getting to where you are today? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Yeah. So my path that led me to where I am today, we've already touched on different pieces of the journey, but I'll try to string it together. You know, like Quentin Tarantino, we got to go back to the beginning to understand the whole path. Yeah. So when I started um, my, my blogging journey, I was not interested in writing. If you go back far enough in high school, if you told me I was going to be a writer for a living, I would have laughed at you. I would have said no way, but I had a couple of really great English teachers, my junior and senior years in high school that taught me that writing isn't as rigid as I thought it was when I was growing up. I mean, if you remember way back in elementary school, the things like accordion paragraphs and all these very specific writing rules, you know, none of that really matters once you get to real life. As, as an adult, writing can be you know, a whole wide range of things from poetry to white papers that businesses put out. So when I got into business school, I realized uh, that, that my writing skills were actually pretty good in the application process. I don't know if there's still SAT2 tests, but I got a perfect score on that SAT2 for writing. Wow. So apparently I did have the writing um, abilities already in me, even though that was something I wasn't really interested in as a career path. So along the way, when I started this blog, I realized, you know, what? I, I'm, I'm an okay writer. But as with anything else, when you practice and do something again and again and again, you get better at it. It's just you know, the way of the world. If you want to get better at guitar, you can go practice guitar. If you want to get better at writing or any other business, you have to practice that. So that's exactly what I did. And my site turned, actually just last month, it turned 10 years old. And it took eight years from the time that I started my website till I was able to go full time and quit my job. So when anyone is looking at the internet as a place for you know, overnight riches or a get-rich-quick thing, it is not that. And there are opportunities out there to make money a lot faster than I did. But remember that when you're building a business, especially a side hustle, it's going to take time to grow that. And one way to think about it, you could look at, there's a, a great book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers, and it talks about why certain people are very successful and stand out from everyone else. And one concept they discuss in there is the 10,000 hour rule, which says that you have to do any one thing for 10,000 hours to become a true expert in it. So when you're talking about a side hustle to get 10,000 hours, remember you're doing this part time. If you were doing it eight hours a day, five days a week, it would take years to reach 10,000 hours doing anything. So even if you don't feel like you're the greatest or the best when you're starting, if you stick with it and keep practicing, you will see better success. Now, a couple other major factors in addition to just working hard, because you know, just hard work on, on its own 
won't do a whole lot in any business. You know, on the internet, we talk about a publish and pray approach, which is the wrong way to build a website. You have to do promotion also. Otherwise, just your mom will read your website, if that. So you know, there's other pieces as well. And while the internet feels like a place you can work kind of alone in a vacuum, and I'm sitting in an office all day by myself at a, at a home office, there's actually a lot of interpersonal opportunity online as well. And two of the biggest growth moments I had in my business came out of connecting with other people and other communities. So the first one was a group called the Yakezi, which is it's still out there. It's not as active as it used to be, but it was a network of personal finance bloggers who tried to help each other grow and, and get the best success. And I learned a lot there about direct relationships with companies and online advertising. And that was one of what I would call a hockey stick moment in the growth of my website it was when I joined that community. So I had kind of a slow upward trending line and it pointed upward right there when I joined that community. And the next hockey stick moment was another community driven event. And that's when I went to a conference called FinCon for the first time. That's a financial blogging and media conference. And when I started the Yakezi, that was when I learned how to take my blog from a little hobby to an income source. So maybe a real side hustle, if you want to think about it that way, started to treat it more seriously. When I went to FinCon, that's when I learned how to turn that side hustle into a true business. And I did that through meeting other people who had had success uh, online in a wide range of things from freelancing to their own websites to creating courses and writing books. You know, there's so many different things you can do online with the media. So I learned a ton there. And part of it was just putting myself out there and saying yes when I had a good opportunity and just looking for successes in my business and places I could repeat that same success. Now, when I started my blog, at the very first FinCon, I met a guy named Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income. His site is great if you've never been there. And I remember Pat was so excited that a few of us had heard of him. But when I was looking at his site, I saw huge traffic, huge dollar figures. You know, he, he does income reports, or he used to do income reports. I've actually been doing income reports for about five years at personalprofitability.com. So you can trace this exact journey and, and how it happened over time. But I thought my site was going to be just like Pat's, and I was going to have this huge traffic and huge success, and you know, people would recognize me in the airport because I was that you know, celebrity finance blogger guy. But Google had different plans for me. You know, after the, uh, the penguin and panda and other cute animal updates, I just didn't get the traffic that I thought I should. But on the other side of my business, I started writing for other companies and other bloggers, and I saw this number starting to grow. So while I wanted the big success to be from personal profitability, it turned out personal profitability was really just a resume for a new business that I didn't know I wanted to start yet. And by focusing on what was working and repeating that success, I was able to hit that $40,000 income point in 2015. And now I'm on the way to tripling that number for 2018. So focusing on what works is really important and repeat that again and again, you know, even if it's not where you expect to see success in your business, if you're getting it somewhere, embrace that success. You know, it's good to learn from others and be inspired by others, but you have to find your own path and your own way to success. And connecting with others and the right community can help 
you better learn opportunities that you have, and then you just got to take them by the horns and go for it. Well, you are the um, the money man. You're passionate about it. You're doing well with it. Your 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 entire business and and career right now is revolved around that. So, with that being said, what would be the your number one tip for someone involving their money, their profit, on a per, uh, personal standpoint as well as a business standpoint if they are a business owner? Yeah, definitely. So, from the personal standpoint, my number one advice which a lot of people do this, and I, I don't get why personally, I think it's just in my DNA, it's don't ignore your money. No one ever said, I just ignored my money problems and they fixed themselves. <laughs> That's not the way it works. It takes time to you know, put together a little bit of a budget and don't feel like that budget is constraining you. Look at it as a roadmap that gives you permission to spend in certain areas as long as that's within your means. You know, if you were going to take every personal finance book and blog and documentary and everything else out there and put it down into one sentence, I would say spend less than you earn and save and invest the rest. Make sure you pay off your debts and you'll be in, in good shape. And I know that's easier said than done, but if you can do those few things, you are going to be far ahead of the average person when it comes to your personal finances. And I'd say the same thing is true of your business. You know, it's easy to look at your business problems and operations and opportunities and, and marketing and web advertising and other things that you're doing all over. And there's so many things that can you know, consume you in your business. But it's important to take a moment to step back and look at the numbers and look at your, your financial statements. Look at your P&L and your balance sheet. Try to really understand where your money is coming from and where it's going so you can better optimize it. And that was my career as a, as a senior financial analyst. I, I was an FP&A, that's financial planning and analysis. And I would sit there and look at spreadsheets of company data, trying to find opportunities for growth, trying to identify trends and, and good things that we could keep repeating. And then also looking for those expenses in areas that are easy to cut. So you take the time and look at, at your P&L and really try to understand the numbers. And for me, that was pivotal in my growth. You know, after I left my uh, full-time day job, I was actually working part-time. I'd say about 20% of my income was coming from working as a freelance website developer. So I'd build WordPress themes and WordPress websites for small businesses and, and other bloggers like that. And my uh, rest of my income, I'd say about 80% was coming from the writing. And when I started, sat down, I looked at my numbers. I use QuickBooks for accounting and I saw those exact numbers and I started thinking, wow, about 80% of my time is going to this website stuff and 20% is going to writing, which if you know the 80-20 rule or the Pareto principle, I mean, that was it. It pretty much smacked me in the face and said, Eric, Here's the 80-20 rule. So I actually cut the website development part of my business, which I was not seeing the numbers I am right now. So it was a little nerve-wracking to cut off an income stream. But when I did that, my income from writing roughly tripled over the next two to three months to over 10000 a month. And it has been almost every single month since. And that was two and a half years or three years ago now. So, uh, you know, just looking for those places in your business where the numbers tell you a story, listen to that story and, and go for it. 
Eric, where can people find you? Not only at personalprofitability.com, but as far as uh, links, social websites, stuff like that, where can they find you? I also have a show called the Personal Profitability Podcast. I'm on Twitter as Eric Profits. And I have one giveaway for all of you guys for listening today. It's a freebie on me. It's a week-long course on personal finance, mostly for entrepreneurs. It's called Personal Profitability Boot Camp. And you can get that for free, no strings attached, at personalprofitability.com slash boot camp. Well, Eric, thanks for being on the show. Uh, you have lived the true American dream by starting a side hustle and turning it into a full-time career and being an entrepreneur. Uh, you, my friend, are one of the people worth knowing. Chesley Sullenberger, known by the nickname Sully, is the retired American airline pilot best known for his heroic acts of the miracle on the Hudson. Sullenberger landed U.S. Airways Flight 1549 in the Hudson River near Manhattan on January 15, 2009 after a bird strike disabled both of his jet engines. There were 155 persons on board and all of them survived. Sully has helped develop new protocols for airline safety and is now a public speaker about airline safety. Chesley Sullenberger, along with his first officer, Jeffrey Skiles, have served as co-chairman of the EAA's Young Eagles Youth Introduction to Aviation Program from the year 2009 to 2013. Sullenberger retired on March 3, 2010 from U.S. Airways after a career duration of 30 years. Chesley was later hired as an aviation and safety expert by CBS News the following year. Chesley Sullenberger was born in Denison, Texas, to a father of descendant of Swiss-German immigrants. Their original last name was Sullenberger. Chesley has one sister named Mary and grew up on a street in Texas that was named after his mother's side of the family. Sully built model planes and aircraft carriers during his childhood and became interested in flying after he saw military jets at an Air Force base near his home. Chesley Sullenberger remained in the 99th percentile in every academic category in high school in Denison, Texas. By the age of 12, Chesley had an ISQ score that was high enough to join Mensa International. Sullenberger was the president of the Latin Club. He was a first chair flutist and always an honor roll student. He attended church regularly and graduated from high school in 1969. At the time of his Denison High School graduation, Chesley Sullenberger was at the top of his 350-student graduating class. Chesley learned to fly in an Aeronautica 7DC at the age of 16 at a private airstrip near his home. Chesley later stated that his flying career was drastically influenced due to the training he had received from a local flight instructor. Chesley Sullenberger attended the United States Air Force Academy where he received his Bachelor of Science degree. He later graduated from Purdue University and the University of Northern Colorado with master's degrees in both industrial psychology and public administration. In June of 1969, Sullenberger entered the United States Air Force Academy with the class of 1973 
and was selected to be a part of the cadet glider program along with about 12 other cadets. By the end of the first year in the program, Chesley Sullenberger was an instructor pilot. Sully received the Outstanding Cadet and Airmanship Award as the class top flyer in the year of 1973 in his graduation. Chesley Sullenberger was sent by the Air Force to Purdue University following graduation and commissioning as an officer. At Purdue University, Chesley pursued a master's degree before beginning undergraduate pilot training, known as UPT. After Purdue, Sullenberger was assigned to UPT flying the T-37 Tweet and T-38 Talon at Columbus AFB, Mississippi. Sully earned his wings as an Air Force pilot in 1975 and finished training in the F-4 Phantom II at Luke AFB in Arizona. During Sullenberger's tenure in the Air Force, he was an active member of an Aircraft Accident Investigation Board. U.S. Airways employed Chesley Sullenberger from the year 1980 to 2010. He holds an airline transport pilot certificate for both single and multiple engine airplanes. Chesley also holds a commercial pilot certificate rating in gliders and a flight instructor certificate for planes and gliders. Combined, Chesley Sullenberger has over 20,000 hours and 40 years of flying experience. Sully became the founder and CEO of Safety Reliability Methods, Incorporated in 2007. Safety Reliability Methods is a firm that provides strategic and tactical guidance to strengthen performance, reliability, and organizational safety. Chesley Sullenberger was the captain on an Airbus A320, United States Airways Flight 1549, on January 15, 2009. The flight was taking off from LaGuardia Airport in New York City, and it was destined for Charlotte, North Carolina. The plane struck a large flock of birds shortly after takeoff and suffered power loss to both jet engines. Sully immediately realized that he wouldn't be able to reach and land at any airports and made a rapid decision to air the plane towards the Hudson River for an emergency landing. Of the 155 people on board, including stewardesses, pilots, and passengers, every soul survived and were rescued by nearby boats. Sullenberger was later quoted, saying, It was very quiet as we worked. My co-pilot Jeff Skiles and I, we were a team. But to have zero thrust coming out of those engines was shocking. The silence, he said. Sully ensured all persons on board were evacuated from the plane before he departed the plane. The flight and its landing was under investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board, but was later ruled as the correct decision being made. The board deemed the decision correct for landing in a river instead of an attempted return to LaGuardia Airport. The reason was quite simple. The routine procedures for engine failure are specified for cruising altitudes rather than immediately after takeoff. President George W. Bush called Chesley Sullenberger to thank him for the save he made of every life on board the flight. The United States Senate passed a resolution on January 16, 2009 that recognizes and honors Sullenberger, his first officer Skiles, the crew, the passengers, and the first responders involved in the flight's landing on the Hudson River. A similar resolution was passed by the United States House of Representatives on January 26, 2009. 
Chesley Sullenberger and his crew of Flight 1549 were awarded a Master's Medal by the Guild of Air Pilots and Air Navigators on January 22, 2009. Sully was also presented with awards at a ceremony in his hometown on January 24, 2009. Chesley Sullenberger was later presented with numerous other awards and honors from various organizations across the country for his heroic acts on Flight 1549. Chesley Sullenberger is a hero that made a split-second decision that saved many lives in an unfortunate emergency situation, making him one of the people worth knowing. I would like to remind you that you can find stories of all the people worth knowing on our website at www.peopleworthknowing.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have a suggestion for the show, please email me directly, nick at peopleworthknowing.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the People Worth Knowing podcast with Nick Harrison. Connect with us at peopleworthknowing.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or via RSS so you'll never miss an episode. If you found value in this podcast, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help too. We'll be back with another episode soon.